Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. I've simply entitled this this morning, The Olivet Discourse, even though we're only going to get through maybe um, 26 of these verses uh, this morning. There's just so much information that's important. Sometimes when a person realizes that his time is short, certainly that's the case here with the Lord. He has a little less than a week. And it's been a real eye-opener for the disciples where they finally, in chapter 24, are going to come to the realization that the kingdom that they've been planning to be a part of is going to be postponed and delayed. Now, if you weren't here on Wednesday, we did chapters 22 and 23. In chapters 22, the Herodians and the Sadducees and the Pharisees They come after the Lord with one purpose, and that is to trap him with questions that they feel that he certainly will not be able to answer. And yet, um, he puts them in their place, and the last thing it says is uh, they dared not ask him any more questions when he was through with them. But then in chapter 23, he goes after them. And... um, The scribes and the Pharisees, in chapter 23, uh, we see here this gentle Jesus using the harshest language that is in the entire word of God. No prophet of the Old Testament denounced sin as the Lord Jesus denounced it here. Eight times he'll say woe to the scribes and the Pharisees. Seven times he'll call them hypocrites. And then language nowhere else in the scripture like serpent, brood of vipers, How can you escape the damnation of hell? He goes right after them. And at the end of uh, chapter 23, um, we find the Lord lamenting, actually weeping, we find out in Luke's account, which we'll be looking at in just a moment. But we read in verse 37 of chapter 23, after he's finished denouncing uh, the hypocrisy of the religious leaders of his time, uh, we see the real father's heart in verse 37. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stone those who were sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together, even as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I say to you, you will see me no more until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, This is going to happen at the end of the tribulation period. I can't get into it this morning. It's too much of a study within itself. But there is a place in Revelation 12 where a remnant, two-thirds of Israel, will be destroyed during the Great Tribulation period. One-third, a remnant, will remain. And they will be under the Lord's protection in a place called Petra, in modern-day Jordan. And this is where they actually make this statement. And they call upon the name of the Lord, and the Lord comes back. And that's, believe me, a very in-depth, lengthy study. I'm only going to touch on it uh, this morning. Now, Paul read for us the first 15 verses of uh, Matthew chapter 24. And in the the first two verses, we find 
Um, then Jesus, after he had this moment of um, reflection and grief, because he came in, John 1 verse 11 says, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. And now they're about to kill him. It's just days away. So he's grieving in that they missed their opportunity. And it has, verse one, it says, when he departed from the temple and his, his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. Notice it says buildings. It's not just the temple. Um, Antonio's fortress would have been there. Many buildings around her. There would have been the woman's court, the inner court. And um, um, many places to stay for the priests. In verse two, and he said to them, do you not see all of these? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone will be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Our Lord has now denounced the religious leaders in chapter 23. He has turned his back on Jerusalem, and he has told them that their house, in other words, their temple, is now going to be left to them desolate, And the Lord has just told them that his kingdom would be postponed and that the temple would be left desolate. And this is hitting the disciples really for the first time, the reality. If the Lord is saying that the temple's not gonna be there, well, how can the kingdom be established, which is what we thought this whole thing was all about. You've done all the miracles, you've declared yourself, you've raised Lazarus from the dead, everybody believes you're the Messiah, and you're not establishing the kingdom? Well, the fact that he put a nail in the coffin, so to speak, at verses one and two, no temple, no kingdom, and that reality is just beginning to sink in. Now, when we go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, we're not gonna get a complete picture unless we dovetail uh, the gospels together. So to give further clarity to what we just read, let's turn to Luke chapter 19, uh, we've touched on this because of Palm Sunday just recently, and, and um, um, in Luke 19, this would be what we call a triumphal entry. The date would have been April 6, 32 AD. The people, again, were quoting Psalm 118. They were sure he was the Messiah. The Pharisees were upset by this, and they told Jesus to re their followers, they're quoting Psalm 118. They think you're the Messiah. And instead of rebuking them, the Lord just says, I tell you the truth, verse 40, that if these would keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out because this was the day. According to Daniel 9, this was the day that was foretold when Jesus would be worshiped as the Jewish Messiah. And then, verse 41, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. Well, Matthew just gives us a little um, verbiage of a broken heart. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I wanted to. I wanted to make this happen now. Like a mother hen gathers in her chicks, but you weren't willing. I sent John the Baptist to you. You killed him. I sent Jeremiah, uh, Isaiah. Hebrews tells us they cut him in half. And I sent the prophets, but you wouldn't listen. And as a result, that's the reason now we have more clarity in in Luke 19, where he 
He weeps over Jerusalem. And again, I'll try to put some emotion in verse 42. Oh, if you'd only known, especially in this your day, the things that would have made for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. And then he prophesies in verse 43 what's going to happen to them because of their failure to recognize who he is. For the day will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Now the implication is they were supposed to. Daniel clearly, to the day, tells us when he would come. Now, let's go back and it'll go back to Matthew 24, and as we read uh, verse one and two again, we have the additional information from um, Luke where he takes the disciples and he says, do you not see all these things in the temple? I say to you, not one stone will be left upon another that they shall not be thrown down. And Luke again adds more detail to us. And at this point, this prophecy was fulfilled not one stone upon another. 38 years after Jesus made this statement in in Matthew and in Luke, and that's when uh, the Roman 10th Legion came down, marched on Jerusalem, surrounded it, and as a result, destroyed the city. Not one stone was left upon another. We call it the dysphoria. And um, they were dispersed in all the world. They haven't been a nation again, Uh, since May 14th, 1948. So they've been out of the land all this time. Now, next week, we're going to get into the parable of the fig tree, and we'll talk about a prophecy of Israel coming back into the land. And that's a fact of history for us. Matter of fact, it's 70 years uh, this, this year that they're actually back in the land. But the disciples... Matthew 24 and 25 is some of the most important chapters for us to understand these prophecies. An understanding of the rapture will come out of the Olivet Discord, the tribulation, the second coming, and an event called the abomination of desolation. Um, But before I get into what I just talked about here, these are all future events. The tribulation, the second coming, the future abomination of desolation, and the rapture. These are all future. But I want to take a moment and expose a false doctrine that's out there. And I hope you'll be good Bereans and double-check what I'm saying. Um, This particular group are known as preterists. And uh, we get the term uh, preterism. A preterist uh, is from the Latin word preterist, which simply means past, and those who believe this view of the rapture see it as the same event as the second coming, as well as most post-tribulationists do, with one exception. They do not believe that there is a future great tribulation. They believe that the prophecies of Matthew 24 and 25, what we'll be studying for the next several weeks, already occurred, including... All the prophecies of the book of Revelation, which are 
they believe were fulfilled in the Roman invasion and the destruction of the Jewish temple in the city of Jerusalem in 70 AD. So everybody catch what I just said? They believed all of Matthew 24 and 25, the Olivet Discord, and the book of Revelation was all fulfilled here. And uh, they really have to do a lot of (laughs) cheating and twisting of the scriptures to come up with this. But they often quote verse one and two because verse one and two does deal and was fulfilled. The question was, um, the disciples are now going to um, ask three questions. And the Lord is going to answer them. The first question is, well, when shall these things be? In light of verses one and two, when one stone would not be left upon another. Now, the preterists have this one right. This does refer to what we read in, in Luke 19, when one stone would not be left upon another. Because they rejected Christ, now judgment would come upon them, and as a result, they would be dispersed into all the land. Got sidetracked yesterday, it's not my notes, but I'll quote it anyway. <laughs> I always get myself in trouble when I say that. Romans 9, 10, and 11. When we see that, okay, Israel rejected their Messiah, and the gospel's open to the rest of the world. Now, Paul alludes to this, and because it's not part of my notes and you're taking notes, maybe you might want to write this one down. It's in uh, Romans 11, I think the last couple verses, when he explains that God isn't through with Israel. He's working with the church right now, but he's not through with Israel. And then he goes on to say this, oh, the wisdom of God and how unsearchable are his ways, that he has a plan not only for Israel, that's still future. He still owes Israel seven years, according to Daniel. He's still going to work with them again. But right now, during this dispensation, we're in the church age. But Paul just alludes to it, and as he thinks it through, he goes, oh, the wisdom of God. How unsearchable are his ways. They're past trying to figure out. They're past trying to find out. And um, here, talk about a reality check for the disciples This is the first time they're saying, okay, if the kingdom isn't coming, then tell us, when is this going to happen? And that would be question number one. Um, Although this is an ancient, ancient history to us, it was a shocking revelation to the disciples. And they talked it over, I'm sure, and they came to him with this question. Okay, Lord, it's not now, it's being postponed. Then when is that gonna happen? And um, we know that it happened 38 years later. And um, Jerusalem was completely destroyed. Um, This week, we will deal with, as we make our way through the Olivet Discord, we're going to deal with the tribulation this morning and the abomination of desolation. And the tribulation, as we talk about it, Um, The Lord refers to it here as then there will be a time of great tribulation, such as never been nor will ever be. And by the way, if you ever get into um, a debate with a preterist and they say, well, that all happened in 70 AD, just take him to verse 21 because this is all part of the same context and say this is what Jesus called this period of time called the 
great tribulation. For then there will be great tribulation, such has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And just look them square in the eye. And you're going to tell me that what happened in 70 AD, you're going to tell me that the Holocaust wasn't worse? And you're going to tell me that what Jesus says about the future event is there's never been a time like it and there's never going to be a time like it again. It's not difficult to undo a preterist. They are very selective. But again, this is a, a good reason why we study chapter by chapter, book by book, and verse by verse. Good place for an amen. And then when you have it in full context, instead of wanting to make up a doctrine by having to take out selective verses, um, you're, you're dealing with a full deck, so to speak. And you can, you can refute. So this morning I do want to refute preterism. There's people like um, uh, the Bible Answer Man uh, who was... Uh, in the closet uh, preterist for many, many years and spoke at many Calvary chapels. And finally, one of the guys called them on the carpet, said, you're really a preterist, aren't you? He goes, yeah. And then he was let go from the board of the Calvary chapel he was on. Um, okay, I can't remember his name, so he's, we'll let that one go. <laughs> the tribulation has many different names. In verse 21, the Lord called it great tribulation. In Isaiah 2, it's called the day of the Lord. In Isaiah 34, it's called the day of God's vengeance. In Jeremiah 30, it's called the time of Jacob's trouble. The church will not be here. That's why it's called the time of Jacob's trouble, or Israel. Daniel calls it Daniel's 70th week. Daniel 12 calls it the time of the end. Revelation 6 calls it the day of the wrath of the Lamb. So this is the Lord Jesus Christ in his anger being poured out upon the earth. Revelation 14, the hour of his judgment. Isaiah 26, the great indignation. Daniel 9, the overspreading of abomination. And Daniel 12, the time of trouble such as never was. And we will be in Daniel 9 and 12 this morning. The tribulation period will be the last events, it's a seven-year period of time, before the Lord Jesus Christ comes at his second coming. Um, The purpose of the tribulation, I can give you this morning if you're taking notes, at least least six different reasons, scripturally, why uh, there will be... uh, a tribulation. Why this terrible period? Well, number one, it will be to harvest the crop that has been sown throughout the ages by God, Satan, and mankind. Now, Jesus told a parable to illustrate one of the reasons there has to be this period of time of judgment. For that one, we need to go back in Matthew to chapter 13. So let's move back there for our first one this morning. Why does there have to be a tribulation? Jesus, in explaining what took place with the fall, and evidently an inheritance that took place, the Bible clearly says that Satan is the god of this world. Revelation chapter 5 is very interesting to me. Um, 
Because the earth has been redeemed and so have you and I when Jesus died on the cross. That's a good place for an amen. So we've been redeemed, but even though the scripture says he's already done that work, we still don't see the curse removed and um, we still don't see ourselves. uh, We're still here. But in Revelation chapter five, after the rapture, we find the Lord taking a scroll out of the Father's hands. And John wept bitterly because this scroll, which I believe is the title deed to planet Earth, no one could open it. Matter of fact, it says nobody could even look at it. It's such an important piece of a scroll. And then John began to weep uncontrollably. He couldn't handle it. The thought that this world would continue under the headship of Lucifer was more than he could handle, and he broke down. And so we read the verse, Weep not, John. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed to take the seal, the scroll, and open it. And when that happens, hallelujah, choruses break out all over heaven. The church breaks out singing. The angels, hundreds of millions of them, Finally, he's taking it back, but not before he opens a seal and we go through the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments. This last seven-year period of time where God's gonna bring his judgment. So if you're in Matthew 13, here's a parable of the wheat and the tares. I'll read the parable and then give the explanation in verses 36 to 44. Verse 24, another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in the field, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheats and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said, an enemy has done this. And the servant said to him, well, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into the barn. Now, In verse 36 through 44, he's going to give the meaning of the parable that he just gave. Uh, Verse 36, then Jesus sent the multitudes away, and he went into his house, and now he's going to explain it to his disciples. And his disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. Well, Jesus brought the gospel. The last thing he said was go into all the world and preach the gospel. The field is the world. The good seed are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. Now this is important to understand. We have one gospel, and the Bible says there's no other name under heaven whereby you must be saved. In the early Jesus movement days, we'd go like this, one way. Only one way, we'd pull our finger up and go like that, say one way. But in reality, a lot of my friends and myself were involved with different ways 
different religions, seeking and looking and trying to figure things out. And so what we read here is that there's both. In the world we live today, there's the true gospel of Jesus Christ, but there are many tares, many false doctrines, many false religions. Well, how did they get there? Well, an enemy has planted them. Verse 39, the enemy who sowed them is the devil. Well, there's clarification for you. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned into the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all that offend and those who practice lawlessness. Cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. But then the righteous will shine forth as the sun into the kingdom of their father, he who has ears, let him hear. Without expounding too much on this, when we get to Matthew 25, the Lord returns, and we have a 45-day where he separates the sheep from the goats. So we have the sheep, the true gospel, those who didn't take the mark of the beast, and then we have the goats, um, those who rejected the gospel, believed the lie, And as a result, Matthew 25, we'll see, they were cast into utter darkness where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. So, number one, why does there have to be a tribulation? The harvest, the crop that has been sown uh, throughout the ages by the Lord himself, Satan, and mankind. If we go to verse, um, back to Matthew 24, we see this is exactly what the Lord is going to warn about in the last days. In verse four and five we read, take heed that no one deceive you. Why? Because there's a lot of terrors out there. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and deceive many. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that you're not troubled, For all these things must come to pass, but the end isn't yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in various places. Now, again, if you're taking notes, in verses 4 and 5, a warning. Don't be deceived. Why? Because there's tears out there. And then, also in verse 5, then in verse 11, Again, the Lord repeats himself. There are many false prophets who will rise and deceive many. And then in verse 24, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders. And if possible, they could even deceive the very elect. So as we look at our first reason for the tribulation, the biggest deception, of course, um, during the great tribulation is the Antichrist will be coming up to him in just a bit and his false prophet. But he's a false prophet that can actually call fire out of the sky. The Antichrist will either have a genuine resurrection from the dead or a false resurrection from the dead. But either way, it says the whole world was deceived because he did this miracle. I'm talking about Revelation chapter 13. All right, number two, to prove the falseness of the devil's claim. 
Well, what is the devil's claim? Satan has been attempting to convince a skeptical universe that he, rather than Jesus, is the logical and rightful ruler of creation. Therefore, during the tribulation, the sovereign God will give him a free and unhindered hand to make good his boast. Needless to say, Satan will fall, fail miserably. And this is where all the pictures start to come in from the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. In Daniel, we have Nebuchadnezzar uh, saying that he has to build a solid gold image, 666 meters. Interesting number. And everybody that doesn't bow down and worship will be immediately killed. And we have in Revelation 13, the false prophet making an image, even giving power to the image so that it speaks and says everybody who doesn't worship the Antichrist will be killed. And so New Testament teaching, Old Testament picture, and again, that's one of the reasons it's important to go through the entire Bible. The Bible clearly calls Lucifer the God of this world right now. Number three reason for the uh, tribulation, to prepare a great martyred multitude for heaven. I'm not gonna, there's so many cross-references this morning. I'm just gonna tell you where this one is, and if you wanna write it down, you can, and then check it out later. So I'm quoting Revelation 7 right now, verses nine through 14. After this I beheld and lo a great multitude, which no man could number, of all the nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne, These are they which came out of the great tribulation and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Well, what does that mean? It means that there were people that weren't saved because if they were saved, they wouldn't be in the tribulation. They would have been taken at the rapture. But there are those because of the 144,000 and the two witnesses, and I believe this could be one of the greatest revivals in world history. And so what we have here are those um, great martyrs. Why were they killed? Because they wouldn't worship the beast, just like we read mentioned in Revelation 13. So that's the third reason. And the fourth reason is to prepare a great living multitude for the millennium. The kingdom that the disciples thought was coming was postponed. And it won't begin until after the great tribulation. So one of the reasons for the great tribulation is to prepare a great living multitude to enter into the millennium. Now I'll get into more detail on that one when we get into the Olivet Discord in Matthew 25. And I'm not sure how many months it's going to take us to get to Matthew 25. Oh, come on, give me some slack. I'm not that bad. Okay. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and they shall separate them one from another, as the shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. Well, who are these people? These are people that came to Christ. They washed themselves, we're told, in, in the, the blood of the Lamb. And uh, they will enter um, 
as believers and enter into uh, the kingdom age. Longevity of life will be restored. Um, Satan will be bound and the curse will be removed. And so along, just like in, um, in Genesis, we have Adam living 900 and some years and um, Methuselah. And so there will be a great population explosion during that time. Now, every time they have offspring, free will is still in play. And they will have the free will to decide whether to um, believe in Jesus Christ or not. But the Lord says he's going to be ruling with a rod of iron. And there's no real rebellion until after the thousand years is over and Satan is once again allowed to, to uh, deceive those who wanted to be deceived. All right, the fifth reason is to punish the Gentiles. People think they get away with things now. There are a lot of people who know that the gospel is true. A lot of people say there's no God and that they're atheists. I said, you're a liar. <laughs> that really gets them ticked off when I say that. And I said, but I, I believe the Bible more than I believe you. And Romans chapter one says you're without excuse because of creation. You can't go fishing, you can't go hiking, you can't watch a sunset, you can't do, look at the human anatomy, study DNA without coming to the conclusion there is a God. So when they say, I'm an atheist, I say, you're a liar. <laughs> and I said, you're not even using common sense. Just a little... Judy and I were watching God of Wonders the other night and it always blows my mind. And they, they just throw all these wonderful um, proofs for, for the creator. And the, and the, the best one is, is DNA. And that's, that's not even complex com- compared to uh, um, uh, your, your atoms. But the amount of information in one strand of DNA, and catch this, I'm not exaggerating, is a stack of books that would reach 500 times higher than the moon. That's the amount of information that's in one strand of DNA. Now, if that doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what's going to this morning. (laughs) All right, sidetrack. To punish the Gentiles, um, confessing themselves to become wise, the Bible says they became fools. So... For the wrath of God, I'm quoting Revelation 19 right now, to punish the Gentiles, those who are suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. That's Romans 1, verse 18. For this cause, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Second Thessalonians will be there in just a little bit. And out of his mouth goes a sharp two-edged sword that with it he should smite the nations. Revelation 15, verse 19, verse 15. And the last one, the last biblical reason for a tribulation is, well, there's three of them here. Um, to purge Israel, the ones that rejected the Lord, the ones where we just read that you're not gonna see me again until you say Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But isn't it true with many of us that we had to be broken before we finally yielded? Not everybody, but I would say most. 
And until that person is broken or has played the prodigal and ends up in a pig pen and finally comes to their senses, um, that's the state of many. To purge Israel. So I'm quoting now Ezekiel 20, and I will cause you, Israel, to pass under the rod, and I will purge out from among you the rebels. It shall come to pass that in all the land that the Lord, two parts within it will be cut off and die. That's an awful heavy statement. Two-thirds of Israel during the tribulation will die. But one-third will be left therein. These are the ones that end up in Petra and call out on the Lord. In Zechariah chapter 13, it says, And I will bring the third part through the fire and shall refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried and they shall call on my name. Blessed is he who calls on my name. And I will hear them and I will say it is my people and they will say the Lord is my God. Zechariah 13, 8 and 9. The last one is Malachi 3, 3. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi. Okay, this is the Jewish people. And purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. So these are the six biblical reasons why there's going to be a tribulation period. Um, Now I grew up mainline Protestant church, both mainline Protestantism, I often say, and Roman Catholicism do not take a literal view of what we've just discussed this morning of the book of Revelation or these future events. They either spiritualize it or they allegorize it or just say it's really just too complicated for anybody to understand, we don't know. And the fact of the matter is, they don't know. And um, it's true that the minority of uh, Christendom today uh, has an understanding of end times events. And it's even being poo-pooed. You know, don't talk about Bible prophecy. I can't wait to get to Thessalonians because that's all Paul did. And they're only three weeks old in the Lord. One of the excuses that I hear, well, they're too young to hear all that heavy stuff about Bible prophecy. Paul didn't seem to think so. He was only in Thessalonica for less than a month. And he taught all of this, what we're talking about this morning. So the tribulation begins in Revelation chapter 6. It ends in chapter 16. It's a seven-year period of time where God owes Israel seven more years, according to Daniel 9. Uh, Let's read verses uh, 5 through 14. We've made it through 8. Okay, all these are the beginnings of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. And then many false prophets will arise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, well, you can't turn on the TV at all. This afternoon, you're going to turn it on. You're going to hear about a killing somewhere or a terrorist attack somewhere else. And it's daily, and it's almost without exception. And it's only increasing exponentially. As lawlessness abounds, uh, the love of many are growing cold, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. Now, 
And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come. Fortunately, we have people like Lyle uh, with jars who have dedicated their lives to places like Papua New Guinea and uh, taking the gospel and um, translating it, obeying the Great Commission. I commend them. We encourage them. That's why we allow them to come here. But having said that, Lyle also said there's at least 2,000 languages still um, that haven't been dealt with. So here, we're clearly told that all the world, I think this is a misunderstood, and sometimes a verse has taken out as, as if we are going to accomplish this. Now, you can disagree with me on this, and you could be right, but I'm of the opinion that verse 14 is not gonna be fulfilled while the church is here. And I'll show you why in a second, but let's read it again. It says, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, leaving none out, and then the end will come. So right before the end, everybody's gonna get one more chance. At this time, please turn with me to Revelation chapter 14, and I'll believe, show you where I believe this is taking place, but let me set it up a little bit. The Lord has always left a witness. Israel was a witness in the Old Testament. They didn't do a very good job. They killed the prophets that came to them. The church, in this period of time, we're supposed to be the light of the world. We're supposed to let our light shine before men. And during this period of time, we are to be witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. Good place for me, amen. That's our job. And so that is going to come to an end, the church age, it began at Pentecost, but according to Romans eleven twenty five, Paul says, I, d- I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you would be wise in your own opinions that blindness has happened in part to Israel. And then he says the word until, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come, comes in. Now that's implying that there's a set number that when that last person, that's a Gentile, gets saved, when the fullness comes in, then the Lord will deal again with Israel. So there's somebody out there that's messing around, you haven't given your life to the Lord, you're dragging your feet and you're holding everybody up. So get your act together because I want to go home. Is that saying it blunt enough? But then in verse 26 it says, and so then the attention goes back to Israel. Well, we're the witness right now, but the witness is going to be removed. I believe according to 2 Thessalonians, the restraining force that lives in you is actually withholding evil in the world in which we live. But it talks about that restraining force being removed. And when it's removed, then the Antichrist will come And there's going to be this lie that comes. I'm getting ahead of myself because we're coming to those scriptures. The deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. So Israel was a witness. The church hopefully is being a witness right now until the rapture of the church. And then let's turn to Revelation 11 which just is one page back from where you are in Revelation 14. We have two witnesses show up on the scene. And what I want to point out is the length of duration of the time of their ministry. 
in verse 3 of Revelation 11. This is exactly three and a half years into the seven-year period of time. Verse 3, I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. 1,260 days, 42 months, is exactly three and a half years, which is exactly half of seven years. And now we know that their ministry lasts, I believe, from the time that the the, uh, the Lord takes the church out and we end our witness. God always has a witness. So who shows up? Two witnesses. Happens to be, I think, the same two guys that were with the Lord on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah. And we read here that they're the two olive trees, two lampstands standing before God of the whole earth. And if anybody wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. If anybody wants to harm them, he must be killed in this matter. They have power to shut up heaven so that there's no rain in the days of their prophecy. Huh, how long is their prophecy? Three and a half years. If you're taking notes, just jot down Revelation 7 verse 1 that says right as these things are unfolding that four angels hold back the winds from heaven. What happens when you don't have wind? Well, you don't have the water cycle. It stops. Therefore, you don't have rain. And you go, that's crazy, that's never happened before. Yes, it has. Matter of fact, it was the same guy that said to Ahab, it's not gonna rain again until I say so. And it didn't rain for the space of three and a half years. And the other guy has the power to turn water into blood. Well, it sounds like Moses to me, or at least Charlton Heston. (laughs) And to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. And when he finished their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against and overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the streets of the great city which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt. That's Jerusalem, gang, where Jesus was crucified, where also our Lord was crucified. Then those from the peoples and tribes and tongues and nation will see their dead bodies and, and, and be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, making merry and send gifts to one another, because these who prophets who tormented them dwell on the earth. Well, We have this in chapter 11, but if you go back to chapter 14, remember we left this off with this gospel of the kingdom being preached to every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. And we know this morning because of Lyle that there's at least 2,000 of those ethnic groups still out there. Well, when they're killed, remember God always leaves a witness for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at verse six of chapter 14. Now he uses an angel. I don't know, he didn't use the angel with Cornelius, but he picked Peter instead. But here he uses an angel. And I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, notice, almost word for word from Matthew 24, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and springs, and the water. Now, I'm not going to get into the other two angels for time, but go back to Matthew 24 and look at verse 14 again. This gospel of the kingdom 
will be preached in all the world, I believe at all at one time, as a witness to the nations, and immediately following that, the end will come. And that's what happens when you get that far into the tribulation. Here's a last opportunity for people to hear and receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, switching gears in verse 15, we find... um, 15 to 22, therefore when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. Now this is interesting because in parentheses, one of the few places you'll find this in the Bible, it says whosoever reads, let him understand. Meaning what? That there's a whole lot of people who've never read Daniel that don't have a clue what he's talking about. So if you read this, then understand what's being said. He's talking to a group of people who are in the tribulation and this event happens exactly in the middle of the tribulation and he's pointing us back to Daniel. So to get exact time frame of when this takes place, we mean to go back to Daniel chapter nine which my Bible just magically opened to, thank you. And we find, of course this is the great 70 70 weeks of Daniel, a 483-year period of time where God is dealing, according to verse 24, with the Jewish people in the city of Jerusalem. This is not about the church. Up to verse 26, 483 of these years, or 69 of the 77s is fulfilled. There is a gap between verse 26 and verse 27 of at least 2,000 years because the verses before it talk about Jesus dying, being cut off, the Hebrew word there is karat, that means executed but not for himself. There's the gospel right there in the Old Testament. Jesus was executed but not for himself. He was executed for me. He was executed for Eric Korth. And he was executed for Tim Burnett. Nobody else here, but you guys were all. (laughs) No, whosoever calls upon the Lord. And he did it and died for you. So we find now in verse 27, this final year, he he is a reference to the Antichrist. Will confirm a covenant with many for one week. A week is seven years. The Oslo Accord with Arafat many years ago was a seven-year covenant. Of course, they didn't keep any of it. But I find that it was a seven-year covenant with Israel. That's interesting to me. So if one week is seven years, it says, but in the middle of the week. Well, what is the middle? A half of seven is three and a half. What happens after three and a half years with the two witnesses' testimony? Well, they're killed. In the middle of the week, he will bring an end to the sacrifice and offering. So three and a half years into the great tribulation, Jesus said to the questions being asked by the disciples, Lord, tell us, when will these things be? And now he's getting very detailed information. When you see the abomination of desolation, whosoever reads, let him understand. Understand what? That is when the Antichrist is gonna break his peace treaty with Israel. 
I believe with Trump in the mix right now, Brush is, according to Ezekiel 38, is a major player with the Ezekiel 38 war. These are all different studies. But my point here is we see many of the pieces coming together where there's nothing needs to happen for the Lord to take his church out. We don't know the time, but it could happen at any time. Good place for an amen. <laughs> Hope before the study's over. You know, But when it happens, we as a witness are out of here. But God always has a witness, so the two witnesses show up for three and a half years. When Antichrist, Revelation 6, when Jesus opens the first seal, there's a rider on a white horse. And he goes out to conquer and make war. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 24, there'll be wars and rumors of wars. And um, he is at the same time two-faced. He's out war conquering and conquering, but he's also made a peace deal with Israel so that they can build their temple again. That hasn't happened yet, but there's sure a lot of talk about it. Just last week, Bibi gave people in the Knesset the ability to go back there for the first time since 2015, since the Afada were rising. And now I says, you guys, we can go back. And especially amongst the young people, they want to see the temple. And so we, in order to have an abomination of desolation, I gotta watch my time here, um, he will bring an end to sacrifice and offering. Well, you have to have a temple to have sacrifice and offering. And on the wings of abomination shall be one makes desolate, even the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. What is the abomination of desolation? Well, Daniel tells us about two of them. One of them is actually in Daniel 11. And that's with a man named Antioch Epiphanes. He was a Syrian who came down and destroyed Jerusalem. And uh, his arm shall stand on his part and they shall pollute the sanctuary um, of strength and they shall take away the daily sacrifice and they shall place the abomination that makes desolate. Now history bears out the fact that Antioch Epiphanes came against Jerusalem in 170 B.C., which time over 100,000 Jews were killed. He took away the daily sacrifice from the temple, offered the blood and broth of swine upon the altar, set up an image of Jupiter to be worshiped in the holy place. However, our Lord is undoubtedly referring to the second abomination alluded to in Daniel 12. You're only a couple pages away, just flip over. Verse 11. This is how the book of Daniel ends. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. What happens after that? Jesus comes. The book of Daniel gives you to the day the first and second coming, to the day of when he will come the second time, if you're alive during the tribulation. And you see the abomination of desolation? start marking them off because 1,290 days later the Lord is going to return what we don't know no man knows the day of the hour of what the rapture of the church only my father only so Paul tells us these are New Testament Old Testament let's go to the New Testament go to the book of Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 2 and again while you're 
turning to 2 Thessalonians 2, let me remind you that Paul was there less than a month. The gospel has been so dumbed down. Bible teaching is very, very rare today. And yet Paul, only three weeks, maybe a month in Thessalonica, taught him everything that we've talked about this morning. That had to be pretty intense three weeks, <laughs> what I'm thinking. But my point is, don't think, well, I'm a baby Christian, that's kind of heavy stuff, maybe I should, no, leave it alone. In Second Thessalonians 2 verse 1, it says, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, clearly a rapture verse. We get gathered together to him. The second coming, he comes down and judges the earth. And don't be soon shaken by mind or troubled by spirit or word by letter, which is evidently what happened. Somebody wrote a letter, and it disagreed with what Paul was teaching, and it shook people up. As though the day of Christ had come. Now that's another word for the great tribulation. So now he's going to explain. Now this was what's got to happen before the great tribulation can take place. Let no one deceive you. What did the Lord say about deception in the last days? That's exactly what he said in verse three. Let no one deceive you. By any means, for that day, what day? The day of the Lord will not come unless the falling away comes first. Um, This could have one of, uh, in the Greek, could have one of two meanings. For those of you familiar with Dr. Tommy Ice, I think one of the leading theologians on the second coming in the rapture, uh, he holds to the opinion that this is a reference to the rapture. Um, And it sure could be. But it also could mean apostasy or falling away, and I also see that happening. So what's gonna happen before the tribulation? Well, the rapture's gonna happen, and there's gonna be a falling away from the church, and the man of sin is revealed. Okay, that's the first thing, and that's the Antichrist. And that's the first thing that happens at the beginning of the tribulation, Revelation 6, verse one, when the seal was opened. Who is this guy? He opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshiped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This is Paul's way of saying what Jesus said in Matthew 24, and Daniel said in Daniel, the event called the abomination of desolation. Now we're reading it, the question is, whosoever reads, are you understanding it? Hopefully so. And then, (laughs) I laugh at verse five. These these are three week old Christians, okay? Come on, don't you guys remember that when I was with you, I told you all these things? As if they're supposed to grasp us all at one time and digest it. Now you know what is restraining and that he'll be revealed in his own time for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. Are you a restraining force? Let me just give a hypothetical that's just coming to mind. If you're in the break room at work and the boys are sitting around the table talking gym talk and you come in and sit down, does everybody know what I mean by gym talk? Okay, all right, and all of a sudden you come in the room. Does the atmosphere change? Does the language change? Oh yeah, what's happening? Nobody said a word. You just showed up. You're a restraining force because of who you are. But someday, the Bible says that restraining force is gonna be removed. Nobody want to walk into the break room and everything goes on. 
He's taken out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed. So what is the one that restrains? Well, that's the Holy Spirit, gang, that lives inside of you, that lives inside of me. And whether you know it or not, people are watching you, and you're a restraining force, but you're going to be removed someday. And when the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will destroy, will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusions that they should believe the lie. There's one lie that's going to come out that's going to deceive the the whole world, and I have my ideas of what it is, but I don't have time to go there. We need to wrap things up. So go to um, 1 Thessalonians 5. We'll make it as far in the Olivet Discourse this week with uh, the tribulation and the abomination and desolation. To try to end this on a lighter note, this is um, 1 Thessalonians 5. Jesus said to his generation, oh, if you only would have known your generation. But you didn't get it. Now, Paul is saying the same thing to us, that we're to know what's happening biblically and prophetically. So I'll read this and we'll close up. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourself know perfectly that the day of the Lord, another word for the tribulation, will come as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that day, that day will overtake you as a thief. You are sons of light and sons of the day, We're not of the night or the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, the helmet of hope and salvation. Why? For God has not appointed us to wrath. What is the tribulation? The wrath of the Lamb that you have not been appointed to, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, scare one another to death with these words. (laughs) No, there's hope. It's called the glorious hope. A lot of people think the rapture is escapism so that we don't have to suffer persecution. I get persecuted all the time. I don't know about you. There's still persecution. No, therefore comfort one another with these words. Are all these things gonna happen? Is it gonna be the worst time that the world has ever known according to Jesus? Yes. That should scare the hell out of a lot of people, literally. And yet it doesn't because we're caught up with these things and other things that distract us instead of being about our Father's business because we're the ones in the light that are to know these things and understand these things and should be able to articulate them to our loved ones. Why? So they don't have to go through this terrible period of time. So therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you're doing. Amen. Let's stand up and pray.
Lord, thank you for your word this morning. And um, as we dive into the Olivet Discourse, we ask for your guidance and help. And um, we want to be those people that are children of the light and children of the day. And help us be so, Lord, of these last days. In Jesus' name, amen.